Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm Greg B. with Jacob as well. Hello. And today, we are going to do something a little bit different. Instead of a review, we're going to be talking about a topic. This might sound a lot like our vlogs, uh, and we're going through another period of self-discovery. So it should be a lot of fun. We're going to be talking about how survival co-op games build tension, build intensity and sort of make the players squirm but first let's talk about what we've been playing so we actually got a chance to play zaya recently we did yeah it was just the two of us though and that was a little bit interesting to say the least i think that there's a reason that the minimum for the game is three i think it's less a mechanics thing because you can play with two like it's definitely a way but it's just not as interesting because you're just competing with the other person and the problem with Zaya is that you have to transverse the board yeah and a lot of times what will happen is if you are a competing with just one other person you get stuck on one side of the board they get stuck on the other side they're getting all the points and you have nothing that you could do to stop them yeah it definitely felt that way at times especially since we were playing with the embers of a forgotten star expansion which adds something like 18 new tiles yeah to the board so it's this huge galaxy And there's just the two of us and the three NPCs in it. Yeah. And I do think that it will improve when we play with more players. At least three, I believe. But I think one of the things that the expansion really helps with is that you can play with more players because the game is faster. Yeah. There are ways in the game now to really speed it up. One of which is that you trade in exploration tokens that you find for either victory points or money. So that helps tremendously because either you're getting closer to buying a new ship and improving your your gameplay or you're getting closer to the end yeah they pretty much completely redesigned the exploration token system where before the tokens could contain individual things of you know 1000 credits or one victory point now they contain other things like trade goods even sometimes you can take damage from them they can give you minor quests but no matter what they give you you can turn them in for money or experience so it just really picks up the pace of the game Mm -hmm. and also keeps it more interesting because you're not just hunting for the things that you're looking for anyway you're hunting for really interesting things to do that also get you experience or money yeah not only that but even damage is now not as bad because of the the fact that you know if you pick up an exploration token with damage well yeah you have to take damage but at the same time, that's one more exploration token that you're picking up and you get to either get money or or victory points for that. Yeah. That being said, they added a new type of damage. They did. Ice damage. It's very interesting in the way that it sort of puts pressure on the player to respond. Because before, you know, if you had taken damage, unless someone had weapons and was an outlaw and was looking to prey on you, there's a good chance that you were just going to cruise around with that damage on until you happen to go back and buy and sell and you'd say okay i'm going to take this damage off now ice damage at the end of every turn it freezes and so it puts an additional cube of ice damage in every adjacent square yeah so it's gonna destroy your ship if you don't book it towards the space dock yep not only that but it also is really cool in that you don't have to pay to fix it it melts when you get in onto a planet and so that's just incentive. Like, you know, you don't need to have money to, in order to fix this damage. And I think that that's a really cool idea that, you know, it is damage and it will incentivize you to go to a planet. 
but at the same time, it doesn't penalize you in that you have to pay. Yeah, definitely an interesting change there with the damage. I also like that they added the events um, yeah. on the fame track now. There's the the sort of titles are unlocked at roughly the same intervals, but on a slightly different set of intervals, you unlock events, which are sort of things that the you know world will either spawn or that you can interact with celebrations for example that you can do things can be outlawed be made into contraband and they're worth more but they also give you outlaw for buying and selling and they change the game in interesting subtle ways without being like a title and an objective that somebody has to claim for fame points it's just like oh hey this thing is pretty neat and gives you an edge yeah exactly and you know if you're already doing it you might get a little bit of extra and it's nice i I think that it adds a lot to the game as well uh, and in general, I think that the expansion really did improve the game. It added comets. It, <laughs> yes, it did. It added another way to get instigibbed. Uh, but it also, along with the comets, added gravity tracks. Yeah, those are weird. So you can get caught in a gravity track, and if you like land on it, not, like, even if it is just part of your movement, you then have to roll a die and go that distance along the track. So it can be very, very interesting trying to get from point A to point B. And uh, the commas have a very similar track, except when you land on their track, you roll a dice for them and see whether or not they get, uh, they go there. So it's it's interesting. I, I like it. I think it adds a little bit more randomness. It adds a little bit of risk in there that was, I think, missing a little bit from the from the base game. So. Yeah, totally agree. But it was a lot of fun to play. It was interesting. Be on the lookout for a full review of yes. that. We we really definitely want to get to that at some point we do want to play it with at least three players yeah one more time before we give it a proper you know thumbs up thumbs down though yep exactly but you've also been playing a pretty complex game from what i hear kings uh, kings of israel yeah it was interesting it's not i don't know that i'd describe it as complex uh derivative maybe is more (laughs) like uh it basically plays like a combination of pandemic and settlers of Catan. Hmm. Um, you play as um, prophets during sort of the ancient reign of, I don't know anything about the Bible. My ignorance is showing. Basically, there's a bunch of ancient kings of Israel, and some of them are good and some of them are bad. And you're trying to liberate everyone from sin before the bad kings call down the wrath of God and the entire kingdom is destroyed. So you do that by cleansing sin in the form of cubes <laughs> okay. from various cities which are connected by nodes on a map and on your turn you can move or you can cleanse but there are some slightly different things um, you can put down an altar which allows you to make a sacrifice which is sort of like an improved cleanse and the the katan element comes in because you're collecting resources five different resources wood gold stone cattle and grain okay and you need some of each you know you need some of them to build the altar you need some of them to make the sacrifice at the altar you can consume some of them to travel a little bit further so it was interesting all in all i don't know that i would say that i enjoyed the game (laughs) but i played it with a group of our friends who is usually more into games like twilight imperium 3 (laughs) twilight imperium 3 uh twilight struggle heavy heavy game of thrones stuff like that so it was a refreshing change of pace with this particular group of of players so that was nice yeah yeah that's that's good 
Uh, and then what about you? You have had a chance to play a new train game, so I know you're excited about that. Well, yes, I, as people probably already know, love train games. Choo-choo! Exactly. So I got to play a game called Whistle Stop, and I think that this is a game that you would enjoy quite a bit. It's a pickup and deliver game, and you're using trains and you're trying to get from, or you're trying to get to the end of the track almost area, uh, but like as you go, you're trying to pick up as many points as possible. The game has like a certain turn limit based on the number of players. And as you play, you can use coal to like, you know, move forward a one stop and then uh, a whistle to go two stops in any direction. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to pick up from certain areas like uh, cubes and then bring them to other areas that will give you points as well as possibly other rewards when you get there. Okay. And uh, you lay the track as you go. Like, so you might pick up a station that needs a certain number of cubes and will give you a certain number of victory points at the end. And so it's it really does a, a fun job of just you know moving around and like trying to get all the things that you need. And uh, there are a few different strategies where like you can buy upgrades for your trains. So for example, you can buy a toll upgrade. Or it's more for your company, I think, than your trains. But what it is is uh, if you have the toll upgrade, any trains that are on the same spot as you or the same station as you, those players have to pay you a cube in order to move their train. Okay, that makes sense. So it's just like, you know, there's that whole thing where you're trying to block people or you're trying to get onto the same areas as them in order to keep them from, you know, moving or otherwise giving you cubes. Right. How big is the board? Uh, it is a hex-based board, and I believe that it is nine hexes long and around ten hexes wide. Okay, so not not small. Not small, but also not too huge. Right. Like it's a game that plays in about forty-five minutes or so. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. So uh, I I got it, of course, after I played it because it was very enjoyable. But and also a train game. And also a train game. So yeah, it, it was it was a lot of fun. Great. And then uh, last but not least, before we move on to our topic, we had a chance to play this new game called Battle Gnomes, which we actually picked up directly from the designer at Washington. Her name is Tiffany Branham. And Tiffany, I apologize if I just totally butchered your last name. But she designed this game called Battle Gnomes, in which each player takes on the role of a gnome household who is vying for control of the neighborhood. So you basically have gnomes in front of you who you can equip items to and then do battle with other gnomes and try to basically show your strength by claiming defeated gnomes. Yeah. And it's pretty funny. It's, I mean, you've got throwing Legos as a negative uh, modifier to your enemies. You've got water balloons. You've got lawn darts. You've got, you know, an umbrella as defense. You've got, like, a single glove as defense. You've got, like, you know, all these really cute things that uh, you'll find in your backyard. You could have, like, a hose as, like, one of your lawn items. Or, like, I think I saw in there a flamingo. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a flamingo. So, I mean, like, you've got all these really funny references to this being literally, like, the gnomes in your front yard battling other gnomes in other people's front yards. Yeah. Uh, And I think the theme is really cute. Yeah, it's it's very good. It's very well done. It's very good-natured. And it's it's a lot of fun and very quick to play. We played it with two players, as usual, because there's two of us. Yep. And that's the minimum number. You can play up to six. And I would be very interested to see what it plays like with more players, just yeah, because of the sort of yeah. the sort of dynamic 
involved mm-hmm. in getting to the victory condition, which is only three gnomes defeated. Yeah. It seems like when you have more sort of interpersonal politics yeah. to worry about with regard to, okay, well, if I let this guy go, he'll get too strong and I can't just wail on this one dude over and over. Mm-hmm. It seems like it would add a lot of nuance yeah. to a game, which when we played was just spending turns, building up, building up. Okay. I think I'm stronger than you attack. Yeah. Was I right? Or was I wrong? Yep. And that's all there was. And one of the things that I will say is it is Munchkin-esque. Yes, in definitely. The, in the play style. But I think it improves on it. Just because like Munchkin, first of all, you have to get to a higher number, which makes it take longer. Yeah. But also, you can't ever go down. Yeah. And there's also the... I feel like the threshold for doing things is much lower than in Munchkin. Yeah. And also yeah, yeah. the degree of punishment mm-hmm. is much lower. You know, if you lose, you're not dying and losing all of your gear and all of your stuff you're just losing one out of between two and four gnomes yeah which yeah might have some equipment but you can get equipment back pretty quickly yeah and it's a really quick game so it it was it was a lot of fun i think yeah and i'm really looking forward to trying it with more players because i think that that's where it will shine same all right and there you have it that's a look at what we've been playing Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new segment at Dragon's Demise. Right now, we're calling it Topic of the Week, but we are looking for better names. Yeah, we love puns. If you've got a really great dragon-based pun or reference that you think would be good for this segment, shoot us a message, either you know Twitter, Facebook, anywhere that we're active. We'd love to hear from you. Exactly. And so let's jump right in. Uh, we're going to be talking today about how survival co-op games build tension. Right. So real quick, you know, sort of what is a survival co-op game is, I think, an important question to answer before we get too much into this. And we wanted to keep it just really broad. A survival co-op game is basically any game in which the players take on the role of one or more characters who are attempting to accomplish an objective and are meeting pretty fierce opposition in doing so. So this can run the gamut from A game like Pandemic Legacy, where it's fairly zoomed out, fairly macro, all the way down to, you know, a pretty nitty gritty game like uh, Descent, Zombicide, something where you're actually dudes on a map trying to survive and trying to meet your goal. Exactly. And and these kinds of games each have slightly different ways of, of making tension in the game. And it's one of the main things within a survival co op game that makes it fun. Right. Because if you didn't have this tension, it would just be easy. Yeah. And I've mentioned this in the past about like why I enjoy losing games. It's because of this tension that like keeps you addicted to the game, even if you keep losing. So the first one that I want to talk about is time. So time just seems like one of the most basic ones. This is taken advantage of by some of the newer games, actually. Uh, things like XCOM, the board game, Escape, the game, as well as, in a certain way, Time Stories. And, well, it's a lot of fun. It's pretty much taking a timer and ticking it down whenever anything happens. Or, you know, in the case of Escape, it just just ticks down no matter what's happening. If you get distracted, you lose. That's just how it works. But it really does add to the tension because you're literally racing against time. Right. And time is such an interesting way to build tension in co-op games because when you think of a lot of co-op games really what you're talking about is optimization. And one of the things that people have commented to me on about various co-op games is that in the worst case scenario, 
it almost becomes like one person is playing the game by themselves and just dictating what the quote-unquote best move is to every other player. Yeah. Whereas when you have a time element, like in XCOM, where you have the timed phases, you have two minutes to respond to certain things, Mm -hmm. it just raises that level of franticness. It raises the intensity with which things are happening and the speed, literally the speed, with which things are happening. And so you don't have time to sit and think through the absolute best answer. You just have to go. You have to go. You have to find the best answer that works in the moment. And if it turned out to have been wrong, too bad. You got to deal with the next problem. So I think it's very specifically tailored and very successful at solving a lot of the problems or criticisms, not problems, but criticisms that can be levied at co-op games. Yeah. I agree. And it's this kind of like countdown clock, which is definitely very interesting in those kinds of games. And also we added time stories here to the list. It doesn't have a traditional time countdown clock. It has a turn counter or, you know, every kind of action requires you to take a certain amount of time down the track. And that does a very similar job to just the countdown timer, not as much for the analysis paralysis kind of thing or optimization, but more that like every action has to count in a certain way. And when we play time stories, it's always just like, do we have enough to use temporal units in order to get from point A to point B? Do we have enough to do this seemingly uninteresting part of the scene? Mm-hmm. Like, what are we going to do? And it's the same kind of tension as you would with a regular countdown clock, but you have time to think through some of your actions a little bit more. It's almost as if you had a pause button for time. Right. And it's really interesting the way that Time Stories deals with time because, you know, the other games that we mentioned, XCOM, Escape, they're literally, it's just, it's real time. But Time Stories represents much more of an abstraction and looking at, okay, what if we sort of stretched time? And it works, I think, very well with the theme because you are these sort of temporal agents, temporal police. I don't remember exactly what your title is in time stories but you know people who go through and try to make sure that the time stream doesn't get messed up mm-hmm. and so from that perspective using time and time dilation and time scarcity as a mechanic and a way to introduce tension i think is very thematically successful as well as being very mechanically successful yeah for sure i definitely like it for that it definitely adds tension even as the game can take many many hours but it's still always a growing like, bit of tension. It's like, oh, can we do it? Can we make it within the time? Yeah. One of the other sort of ways to introduce tension into a survival co-op game, and another one that functions in a similar way to time in that it plays with some of the conventions of the genre, is chance, specifically chance when it comes to resolving actions. Yep. So in games like First Martians, Robinson Crusoe, Seventh Continent you know what it is that you have to do. You know the objective that you're going for. You know probably, or you have probably identified fairly well, what the things are that you have to do in order to accomplish that. But the problem is, you only have a limited number of actions that you can assign and guarantee success. You can increase or sometimes double that number if you're willing to risk failure. So you have this sort of like, do we risk it? Do we not? You know, is it, how urgent is this versus what are the possible negatives? And it's one of those things that really forces you to consider the consequences as opposed to, you know, commonly in co-op games, you just have situations where, 
okay, we're going to triage this situation and then move on to the next situation. It, it kind of resolves itself one after the other, whereas chance is a mechanic that really makes you think about the consequences of this specific action. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you also in there alluded to another one, which is the action scarcity. Yeah. And these two go almost hand in hand because like a lot of times, especially in certain games like the Ignacy games, uh, Robinson Crusoe and First Martians, you can choose. Do you want to have action scarcity and not be able to do everything you want? Or do you want to actually be able to try to do everything you want, but not necessarily succeed? And I think that in general, like combinations of all these elements, first of all, are how cooperative games are built. Yeah, absolutely. Especially survival cooperative games. I think that when you combine them correctly, oh, the tension ramps up like crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of our favorite games, Robinson Crusoe, the main mechanic of that is the combination of the chance with the dice and the actions. Yeah. Because it's just like... Okay, can I do this? Can can we get the, the resources that we want? Can we do the actions that we want to explore, to do whatever? But, you know, yes, we can if we roll well. That's, yeah, that's really the, the heart of it is what can we risk versus what do we need to guarantee? And if we do waste too many opportunities for actions by guaranteeing things, what then do we risk? So it's very much a balanced thing. And when you combine it with the sort of urgency and the the necessity of scarcity. You know, yeah. you're running out of food, you're running out of building materials, out of shelter. Yeah. They they almost push against one mm-hmm. another to leverage the tension up even further. They're greater than the sum of their parts. You take the scarcity form of of creating tension in a co-op game, you take the chance mechanism and you put them together and you end up with something that is is just really very, very dire in a lot of circumstances yeah and actually this is also another spot where co-op games can fail or at least fail to create tension and we saw this in the captain is dead yes definitely i'm glad you mentioned that because in there we had no action scarcity like we did have a bit of resource scarcity but at the same time like we were able to do everything that we wanted to on a turn there was not any time that we were just like oh, we don't have enough, we have to choose between A and B, and both have really bad consequences. It was, oh, I can do A and B, okay? And and that's when you lose tension. Mm-hmm. Because if you can do everything like, without having to risk much and succeed in a game, well, you've pretty much just created a point-and-click adventure where the only point is go forward. Yeah. It's just like you created a path through something and... It's not even interesting. Yeah, and that sort of touches on another thing that I think is is an area in which co-op games sometimes fall down, and that's scaling. Yeah. You know, these mechanics are really designed not just to represent the sort of static situation that you find yourself in at the beginning of the game, but they're also supposed to increase mm-hmm. and respond to the situation as you play through the game. You know, uh, a game like Zombicide is a perfect example of this. The better your players get the more they would be able to handle a blue or a yellow tier spawn, but you're not in those tiers anymore. You're moving up into orange. You're moving into red. So the game scales very well mm-hmm. with its chosen mechanics, which in this case is you know sort of overwhelming force. Yeah. You see this in games like Zombicide and games like Shadow Rift. Their chosen method for, for driving tension is sheer magnitude of enemies. Yeah, And so 
in terms of implementing that, I think they scaled it very well. Again, going back to Captain is Dead, I can see how they wanted to come up with something similar to that. You know, you've got these external threats, you've got situations that are going to be putting, you know, mines in the path of your starship, they're going to be beaming enemy marines onto your ship, but they never really scaled up. They never got unmanageable, even as we moved from the yellow into the orange tier yeah. of cards. You know, we were just, oh, okay. Yeah, there exactly. you go. And I mean, there are very different ways of scaling as well in terms of Robinson, for example. Most of it is you scale just the amount of resources you need to collect for people. And that in, in itself mm-hmm. is, is how it scales. Like, yeah, you now have a lot more actions, but you also have to feed a lot more people. Exactly. Yeah, you have to use those actions to collect more things. Yeah. So, and also keep more people happy. Right. In morale. Yeah. And so, I mean, very simple and very elegantly done, but also scales extremely well. Definitely. One other really very interesting form of creating tension that you don't see very often, and for obvious reasons, I think, is betrayal. Yeah. Um, Really, the only games that I can think of that sort of tackle this are Betrayal at the House on the Hill. Obviously, It's it's in the name, right? You know, you know that that's what you're getting into. But also Dead of Winter. Yeah. And I think Dead of Winter does it in a really very interesting way where it takes the tension that is knowing that there is a betrayer among you. Yeah. And while you would think that not knowing that there's a traitor among you would dilute that tension, mm-hmm. it really just ramps it up. Yeah. Because yeah, there's yeah. a difference between not knowing if there's a traitor and knowing that there is not a traitor. Yeah, there's a big difference between those two. And so you start to question everyone's motives, and it, I think it's really successful at transcending the mechanics yeah. and becoming tension because of a head game. Like, it's oh, actually yeah. it's tension that's created by the players themselves because they're, they're getting paranoid. They don't know who to trust. Yeah. They don't know what to think or what to do about someone's actions Mm -hmm. and so it sort of weasels its way into your head and it it creates this sort of next level of tension and i think that's really great and it also it has one other mechanic that really really influences this as well which is the fact that everyone has their own goals as well yeah because without that it wouldn't work because without that it would be pretty easy to figure out who the betrayer is right but because everyone is still trying to hoard certain things in order to actually win like yeah, you really have to, like, you know, is is Greg hoarding medicine because he's the betrayer? Or is he hoarding medicine because it's his goal? Right. And, like, will he give out the medicine at the right time or will he betray us? Like, it, it's that kind of thing. It's like, you know, who is doing what and why? And I think that, that adding that why is the key. Because, you know, you can have a game like Shadows of Camelot. Who's doing what? Yeah, like everyone's doing something and then at some point the betrayer reveals themselves and starts actively fighting against the other players. Mm-hmm. Same thing with betrayal, but betrayal, it's a it's a randomly chosen betrayer versus shadows, which you play and from the very beginning you know who the betrayer is. Sure. Um, and that whole having a possible betrayer throughout the entire game in, in Dead of Winter, as well as having it be that why is everyone doing something because they all have their own goals is really where the tension ramps up yeah definitely and one thing that we've we sort of touched on briefly but that i think would be interesting to explore more is sort of the why yeah of you know 
why a survival co-op game needs tension to be successful. And you mentioned that players want a certain level of difficulty. You know, yeah. they don't want to feel like they're just steamrolling the game. But it's also interesting to see how designers of co-op games go about implementing tension into these games specifically because their game lacks a lot of the other excitement generating elements you know there's there's satisfaction certainly don't get me wrong Mm -hmm. there's satisfaction in overcoming these objectives but without you know one or more of these mechanics whether it's scarcity whether if it's the intensify mechanic Mm -hmm. of pandemic or the forbidden games it's just not exciting in the same way that a competitive game is exciting because you don't know whether or not you or the other person is going to come out on top and it's that mystery it it is that mystery and and i really think that without tension you can't have a game yeah i I would agree with that. it's like without tension that means that nothing's happening right it's just an activity in competitive games you have tension that is from other players because like you mentioned who's going to win who's going to come out on top they're getting ahead of me they're getting ahead of me i have this on them i have this on them it's like okay i have to fight them off or i have to you know catch up and that's where the tension comes from and Mm -hmm. i think that that's why making a good cooperative game is more difficult than making a good competitive game i would definitely agree with that as as someone who has never really genuinely attempted to design a game speaking strictly as an outsider i would agree with that yeah i mean same but it it just seems that being able to rely on other players to create this tension is almost a shortcut in a game. Mm-hmm. You also have you know you, you need to be able to like, you know create the tension properly because right. sometimes and there's you know there's balance yeah. issues and there's obviously you have to have compelling mechanics. Mm-hmm. But it's it's one consideration that you're spared compared to a co-op game. But it's also one thing that is the downfall of games that re- require players to be the tension. So, for example, in Dead of Winter, I've heard some people who actually play it, and they hate being the betrayer. They, like, they refuse to be the betrayer. They would rather just play it as a complete co-op game. Mm -hmm. And so they don't care about their goals. They don't care about, like, anything else. And when you have people that start playing like that, that removes the tension. And it makes it a worse experience for everyone. It takes away so much of the fun of the game because, like, you know... Even if that person is the betrayer, they're not going to do anything with it. Right. And yeah, I mean, there's definitely an element of that. I don't know that I would say that it completely takes the fun out because you do still have this tension from other sources. You've got sort of the overwhelm mechanics of the zombies. And even if the betrayer isn't actively pursuing their goal of betrayal, you know, there's still the question of whether or not the other survivors are going to manage to stockpile the necessary items and achieve their own goals. So there is still other sources of tension, but I do appreciate you know what you what you mean in that you know not everyone is going to want to be a betrayer so it's something that you really have to take special consideration in before because there are i i don't know if it's non-betrayer or low betrayer variants yeah the, there are variants that either have non or low but at the, at the same time like what i'm saying is that there are some players who don't even do their own goals and that's i think where where it really like hey, yeah you could play a non-betrayer game that I think that that would still be a fun game of Dead of Winter. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't be as fun, I think, as with a Betrayer. But if people are just only thinking about uh, the the main quest and literally putting all the resources in there, I think that the game is not balanced to be that. 
Yeah, it, I it would messes have. with the game balance just because of the fact that you know you don't have the resource scarcity as much anymore. Right. I would probably agree with that. Although, I mean, you know, that's why they do have the personal objectives yeah. because you don't win if only the main objective is accomplished. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you do need some sort of you know player buy-in yeah. when you have certain forms of tension. Yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. situations like Dead of Winter really is is kind of a standout in that regard. But uh, yeah, so all in all, you know. I think tension is just a really fascinating aspect of survival co-op games, not just because it's necessary, but also because it is so varied. Yeah. Um, and you see ways to sort of customize or mix and match uh, these different sort of philosophies mm-hmm. of creating tension in your game. And they lead to some really spectacular results and games that are just punishingly difficult to succeed at. But, you know, damn if they don't give you the greatest sense of satisfaction if you can manage to keep, you know, keep your heart rate low enough that you avoid a heart attack and also accomplish your goals. Yes, yes, exactly. And I mean, it's just like without those kinds of moments of like the the tension in there and like the almost losing and just just barely making it by the skin of your teeth. I mean, without that. You know, where are those great moments? Where is that, like, you know, the moment that, you know, we, we can talk about later on? Just, I remember when uh, Greg in our Zombicide playthrough was able to defend against eight out of the, like, ten attacks that were going up against him. Yeah, he yeah. needed to do that in order for us to win, and he did it in that last moment. Without that tension of someone about to lose, about to die, like, you know, it wouldn't be there. Like, he, that just would have been like, oh, okay, he died. Yeah. But, like, that that tension that was added there really really does so much to bring this a little bit uh into video games there was recently an article that has been circulating online about the little tips and tricks that video game designers use in their games to pretty much make them more exciting for players interesting many of them focused on you know the last bit of health on your character is worth the same as like two or three health bars Mm. the uh, what they called coyote time from uh, the roadrunner and coyote cartoons when when you like jump a little bit too late it'll still let you jump yeah and it's just like those little things that make you think that oh i just barely made it i just barely did this that are literally programmed into those games to give it excitement those create tension those create those like memorable moments right skin of your teeth moments and it's the same thing in board games you need that in order to make a really really compelling good cooperative survival game yep there it is that's the takeaway thank you for joining us for this new type of podcast we hope that you enjoyed it uh let us know in the comments if you did please do yeah we really hope to you know change things up a little bit not just do reviews and so we're planning on adding some other segments and this is one of them so you know currently we're calling topic of the week but we'll likely change the name when one of you gives us something better or maybe our brains manage to function for something cool unlikely but we're also thinking about you know bringing other people in, special guests, about other types of games that we don't really know very well, and just discussing other kinds of things that, that are related to board games, just to keep it a little bit more interesting. Yeah. We're not going to give up on reviews. We still do enjoy doing those, and we just want to add a little bit more in between. So as of right now, the plan is to do review every other week and then interchange those with different kinds of segments. So it could be topic of the week, it could be war games corner, it could be something else. So if you have any suggestions, we would really like to hear them, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. And if you want to talk to us and give us your suggestions and other things, you know, we have a Facebook, we have a YouTube, we have a website and all that, but we also have a Discord. 
And I know I'm pretty active on that, our Discord community. The link will be in our post as well. And we encourage you to join it and come chat. We're also, you know, on Twitch every Wednesday or Thursday, depending on the week. Definitely you can join us there, chat with us live. Let us know what you think. And yeah, just let us know. Yeah. Thank you for joining. And we'll see you next week when we sit down for a review of Battle Gnomes. Gnomes.